is the Muscles and Management Podcast, where we build your body and your business. Talking all things training, sports performance, and business for athletes and aspiring coaches to enhance your training and better your career. Muscles and Management is brought to you by Challenger Strength with your host, Jerry DeFilippo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 203 of the Muscles and Management Podcast. Happy to be back with you guys as usual. A lot of fun stuff to talk about, um, and I want to get to all of it. So let's let's do that. I, as I always say, please rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. I've seen a little bit of an uptick in um, downloads on the show, almost back to levels of when I was having a big-time guest on every week before COVID. COVID definitely put a little bit of a dent, and not just our show, but I think all podcasts. Um, people are not driving to work or were not driving to work as much for a long time because everyone was working remotely. And then uh, eventually, uh, people started trickling back, but I still think a lot of people do work from home or at least way more than they ever did. And I think that does kind of put a dent in some people's podcast listening because of the fact that podcasts are usually something that people listen to while they're driving and doing things like that. So I guess what I'm getting at is I've seen a little bit of an uptick on here. So I don't know if it's like people are starting to get back to, you know, over two years later to, to driving more often and listening to shows. Um, I don't know if it's more of a reflection on the growth the show has made in sense of kind of moving into a more, you know, question and answer, explaining things driven show versus having a guest on every week. Um, you know, I just, I don't know, like, I, I like this format, I think it's really cool to be able to, like, answer all of your questions, and, you know, make announcements, and expand on things that I'm talking about on social media that sometimes are hard to expand upon, in you know, either the 240 characters you get in a tweet, or just, like, the voiceover I do on a video, which, I, I love the voiceovers, being able to do those has really expanded the game on um, what I'm able to do on social media, so that has been fun, um, that brings me to, um, you know, a couple different announcements regarding some posts for this week. We'll get to this to start out. So um, the first one I want to talk about is uh, this just went up on Tuesday night and it was basically a montage of the St. Louis, right? St. Louis. I keep doing that. I'm so used to calling them the St. Louis Rams, the Los Angeles Rams and they're um, training this summer during, I guess you would call it mini camp OTAs, whatever it is um, leading up through up until pretty much this past week. Uh, they are very open about what they do on their social media. So the reason this all started is I posted a video um, on my TikTok, uh, you know, my usual stuff calling out, um, you know, ladder training and, and all that type of stuff. And essentially someone commented like, you know, how can you say both two balls aren't effective? Like I literally just saw, you know, X player doing them, whatever. And I was like, well, not all of them are doing that type of stuff for the two or three players you can name that do it. I can name five or six that don't do it. And then the person, and they were a follower on TikTok, so they weren't being like a hater. They were just, you know, having a discussion. It was really respectful. But basically it was just like, I don't know how you could say that. Like I just saw the Rams post something in the past year of all their players doing it. And I, I didn't remember it because I know if I, odds are if something like that does happen, I'll see it. Someone will send it to me and I would have done a post about it or talked about it or at least it would have come to my attention. Um, so that was like kind of sparking me to be like, all right, like, Let's see if he's right or wrong, and if they are doing it, I want to see what they're doing and what I should talk about it and all that kind of stuff. So I went to their Instagram page, and I went back. First of all, I'm a nut job, and I went through all their spring and summer posts for this 22 year, and then um, 2022, and then I went back to 2021, and I looked for um, 
I looked for basically like everything I could find from, um, you know, what they've been doing in, in the spring and summertime. Obviously, I don't really care about their post during the season because they're only going to really post about game results and stuff like that. So long story short, went all the way back to 2021, didn't see anything about, you know, Bosu balls or whatever. But then I went to 2022 and there was just so much, there's probably like seven posts that they put up regarding, you know, all their training, their sprint work, their open field work, their weight room work, like just tons of stuff. I was like, man, like this stuff's really good. I really liked it. Um, you know, and I think, you know, I should do a montage on it. So I sat down last night and this thing took me a while because it was a lot of different clips. I had to basically take all the clips, screen record them. Um, and this is a little insight on the editing process when you see one of these videos or for those people that are like, always like, oh, I could be a big social media account and like I could grow if I wanted to and it's easy, whatever. Like it takes time. I legit think I edited this video for an hour and a half last night. did an outline on, um, you know, what I wanted to talk about and, and all this type of stuff. Actually, I'll, I, I was thinking about doing this. I'll do, I'll take a picture of the outline. I'm going to tweet it um, when I'm done recording because I do want to give a little insight on like what goes into these um, these breakdowns and, and whatever. And I really enjoyed doing it. Like it was an hour and a half. It was just fun. Like I, I really had a good time. So I basically clipped all the videos, patched them all together. So now um, they're putting stuff across like seven different posts. So you screen record all those things. I take them to my app. I have to crop out like all the background stuff from Instagram because it literally records like the exact what's on the screen, crop them out, edit them, turn the volume off, do all that stuff. And then some of them are only a couple seconds long. So what I'll do is I'll duplicate them so that they play over and over again, two or three times in a row. So I have enough time to talk about things on those posts. Um, I put them all together and into one big, like minute and 30 second clip, um, all edited, whatever I do that. Right. So then from there, I wanted to, I always like to show examples of things happening in games. I think it helps people relate to what's being posted and what the training's doing and all of that type of stuff. So I went to YouTube and I started going in on um, different things that I'm seeing. So obviously it being a Rams video, I was trying to find a lot of stuff on Rams players. I did use some other players too, but uh, what I was basically trying to do was show some of these things in, uh, in, in action, right? So I think a lot of the times we see like this crazy, you know, sports specific type training it's really gimmicky and stuff and we don't realize how much some of the basic stuff correlates to what's going on in the field and you know there was deceleration training curvilinear sprints um you know basic resisted sprint training a lot of rotational work that was another one too like i think sometimes we take for granted or we actually ignore how uh much rotation might be involved in football and i've noticed this a lot and like you know, you're obviously going to have your traditional like running back or receiver spin moves, um, lineman spin moves, trying to rush the quarterback, things like that. But I've noticed it so much in terms of like receivers um, doing curl routes or doing a curl route, catching the ball and having to rotate and rip into, you know, their, their movement upfield. Um, obviously, there's quarterbacks, uh, you know, making throws in the pocket and there's a lot of rotational action going on in the throwing motion, just like baseball. So I was like, let me get a compilation of videos of the rotation going on on the frontal play movement with cuts and stuff. And I wanted to show people like, Hey, like these are these foundational fundamental things. Like no one looks at a lateral jump and thinks like, Oh cool. Like this is so cutting edge sports specific. But I think when people start to like really break down film and look at movement of athletes, like you really start to see how, 
these more simple principle driven things are really specific more than you think and more transferable than you think. And I also think it's cool because I feel like so many people think that pro athletes, you know, all this complicated stuff, these pro athletes are such at such a high level after so many years of development and they're playing so many reps of their sport that a lot of their training is less complex than you think. Like there were a lot of, like I didn't even post a lot of this stuff, but there was like a lot of chain weighted pushups, just like traditional um, barbell high pulls and trap bar deadlifts and landmine work, like, you know, just continuing to build the engine for the athletes, make them resilient, make them tough, and then start to zero in on certain qualities. Like I said, the rotational output, the frontal plane, um, the D-cell, the curvilinear sprints. But, like, it's it's not as, like, gimmicky as you think and, like, trying to replicate as many sports things as you can from the naked eye versus in, in the sense of, like, let's look at that movement and try to duplicate it. It's more like I always say, let's look at the movement and let's break down the um, parts of it that contribute to that movement being successful. Like what planes it's done in the speed it's done at, like all that stuff. Like let's, let's figure all that out what it is and then let's do it. So I think that was really cool. Uh, shout out to their entire staff over there. Um, I actually got a cool DM from their uh, head of trend. I think he's their head of trend and conditioning. It doesn't say it in his bio. It just says trend and conditioning, but um, John Griffin reached out. Thanks for the shout out. Dope page. John, thanks so much for the kind words. Um, I don't even think I realized you had been following me up until that point, And I'm sorry about that. So, um, it was definitely nice to hear from you cause I, you know, was able to follow you and, um, now we can talk and, you know, continue to communicate. So really cool that you appreciated that. Um, the, the overflowing sentiment of positivity from these coaches like Brad Zuis, who I, when I did the breakdown on the jets, um, doing videos on Patrick Mahomes and getting, you know, obviously I know Bobby Stroop, um, pretty well. So that's been pretty cool to see, um, you know, doing different things on, I, I did the video on Jamar Chase and, um, getting the positive feedback from his coach. Um, you know, it's been really cool and, and I've been enjoying it and I love being a source of, um, knowledge and information, just kind of breaking stuff down for people out there to see, um, and just kind of peeling back the layers and understanding what's going on. So that's been really cool. Um, I actually did want to, one more thing pertaining to this. I got a question about like, I said, oh, I love seeing an NFL team or pro team does the right thing. Like, oh, like, what is the right thing? How do you know this is the right thing? Like, what makes it the right thing? And my answer was basically that it's training based on logic, um, you know, grounded and scientifically based principles of strength and conditioning. And then, like, it kind of checks off all the boxes of things you want to accomplish when it comes to basic transferability based on the things that, like, Verkishkansky always talks about with planes of motion, speeds of movement, um, you know, loading and muscles use and all that kind of stuff. And I think to me, like, that's what I mean by right. Like it's, it's not, um, founded in just eyewash, like gimmicky stuff that you see, like it, it, it's clear fundamentals of sprint work and rotational output and, um, you know, bar speed to move to, to, to develop uh, power and all, all those things. And that's what I mean by the right way. It's like, no one's trying to like revolutionize anything. It's all stuff that, I guess it's kind of a little bit of both because like the revolutionary component of it is not everyone's doing still to this day, curvilinear sprints or loaded D cells. Like it's stuff you're seeing a lot of the top places do. Um, but it's not like done by everybody yet, but at the same time, it's not like the, the perception that some people have that a pro team's doing like all this flashy, crazy stuff. And, and it's not as much as what they think. And I think that's what I mean by the right way in that sense. So, um, shout out to the Rams. I thought that was really cool. Um, another thing I want to talk about was I made a couple videos on Werner Gunther. If you don't know who Werner Gunther is, he was a Swiss shot putter. Um, like I think one of the nine or 10 best shot putters of all time to ever exist. 
uh, multiple gold medals in the Euros and the Worlds, and I think he won a bronze in the 88 Olympics. Um, just an absolute mammoth of a man. He was like 6'7", 300 at his peak, and he just moves with such ease. Um, his training footage has kind of been something that like people drool over in the SNC community for a long time. And uh, I forgot why. I think I was on YouTube a couple weeks ago, and it popped up in my my um, recommended or something. I was like, man, like I should make some videos like – you know, it'd be really cool to, to highlight some of what he did because I don't think, like, people on TikTok really know much about shot putters. I know, like, the SNC nerds that, like, follow me on Instagram or, or Twitter might know about it, but maybe the TikTok world is just more kids or more general people um, that wouldn't know or, or be as niche to know about it. So I did some videos, um, one of, a couple of them. So I did three. One of them, I think I just literally used, like, a piece of training from his footage as an intro to my video talking about the shock method, and then I put together some of uh, three of different exercises we have been doing, um, for the upper body and, and just explaining how, you know, shock methods, not only just for the lower body, but like, you know, uppers as well. Cause I think sometimes people, um, you know, think of plyometrics and stuff as only for the lower body and not for the upper body. So it started with that. And then I was like, Oh, like I should just make a full on video of Warner, man. Like that, this would be really cool. Like let's break down his training, right? I love doing breakdowns. Let's break down his training. And he's got this video where he literally does, um, he literally does, you know, I think a yielding isometric squat goes right into a crazy um, hop up up the flight to stairs, comes down the stairs in like a depth jump type of thing, and then does uh, hurdle uh, hops. And I'm like, I got to explain this. What's he going for here? What's the science behind it is? Like, why the yielding ISO? How do the movements correlate? How do the ranges of motion kind of tie together? Like, all this type of stuff. And I did it, and it went, like, absolutely bananas on TikTok. I think it got, like, 150,000 views, like, went off. People were loving it. Um, you know, did that. That was fun. And then the last one I did was I was also putting that video together, and I saw more. I saw another contrast pairing that he did, which was basically um, – Actually, now I just remember there's four videos on Warner, so I'll get to the last one after this. But it was a uh, caustic squat with a barbell on his back into a uh, skater variation, like a skater bound, whatever you want to call it. And I was like, this could be really cool. Like, I think it'd be a good um, contrast pairing for athletes. Like, I think we should post about it. Like, I think you could do variations of this, whether it's a gobble position or, or a bar on your back or a lateral sled drag, whatever it is. I think there's benefits to this when it comes to the elements of the frontal plane in um, team sports. So I put that out there. That went over pretty well. People like that. Um, and then the last one that I did was I, again, just used some footage from, uh, his training to kind of be the precursor to a video I wanted to put together on building, uh, I basically said building springs for legs or just the elastic components or stiff ground contacts that are, you know, positive contribution or positive contributors to sprint, uh, performance. And I used Werner's video of him doing like a pogo jump type thing where he's just hopping up and down in like a spring, um, on two feet and he's 300 pounds and I'm like, you know, if this guy could do this at 300 pounds, there's no reason you can't build up your ability to do it as well. And that led to um, a video on my favorite ways to do this with exercises that we do. Um, and that's gone over really well, too. So that's been really cool. Um, you know, if you haven't looked at those yet, check them out. I think there's a lot to learn from either just his training or like, you know, the, also the stuff that I put in um, when I use him as an example and talk about how to build things like that. So check those out if you haven't. But yeah, it was the week of the Werner Gunther videos and it was really cool and I had a good time doing it. So check those out if you haven't already. Um, you know, that was really fun. So um, I guess where we're going to go from here is, you know, talking about, um, 
a couple things related to some newsletter stuff and, and things that I want to get to on that. So uh, the newsletter is growing. We're over 2,000 subscribers, which is pretty cool. It's going out once a week. The primary um, you know source or primary thing on there to, to learn from is a section that I mentioned I'm doing called Pumping Me Up or Pissing Me Off, basically talking about something that um, I have thought of or something that's going on or something that I've seen, um, you know, basically, do I like it? Do I not like it? What's good about it? What's bad about it? But then going from there, it's like, all right, if it's angering me, like, let's break it down. Let's talk about why. and Let's explain some things, right? So um, that has been going over really well. And I can give you guys a little bit of an insight on what I talked about this week. But essentially, um, what I wanted to get to a little bit about was before I talk about what we did this week, um, there is a chance I'm going to explore the idea of a paid version of the newsletter and ultimately you know, set myself on this being like the actual community based thing that I've wanted to do. I'm talking like anywhere from between two fifty and five dollars a month, like like cheap as all hell. Um, and what I want to basically turn it into is keep you guys, you know, ha- keep the email list to give you guys general updates and different things like that. And this, this newsletter is going to stay like the way it is right now for a while because I got to like plan all this out. But I want to just kind of float it out there. I want to expand upon. Uh, the newsletter and add more to it and make it like a, like I said, two fifty to $5 a month. And it would go out weekly. And essentially what it would have on it is the very detailed write up. And if you've seen this week's newsletter, it's, you know, several paragraphs got pictures in it. Like it, it's explaining a lot. So I want to keep the pumping me up or pissing me off in there where I explain stuff. Um, I think I want to do an option where at the end of every newsletter, there's a drop down bar for you to ask questions and every, the next week I'll answer anywhere from like two to three to five questions that your guys are asking and, and in a lot of detail and send them back out to you with explanations. I want to add a, um, a monthly zoom on there. So basically anybody that's in the paid, um, newsletter, uh, service would basically get a, um, an in, uh, invitation to a Q&A that I would do once a month. You know, you submit your questions to it. You could sign up. You could ask your questions in the chat, and, and we'll mod- Michael moderate, and we'll do that type of stuff. Um, so you get you get access to that. And then I could also record the Q&A and send it back out to everybody the week after so you can get access to it if you couldn't make it. So that will all be there. Um, and that so those are the main three things. And then maybe something along the lines of like a – uh, you know, me taking different things that I posted, like a video, let's just say like the Rams video, for example, and doing a bit of a little bit more of an extensive write up on, um, you know, explaining why I like things like what the curvilinear sprints, how they're applying this, how I would apply like a really big breakdown on that from a programming sense. So you guys can learn, um, about things like that. Um, you know, maybe just like something in programming, like a programming tip, like, I don't know, whatever it is. So I want to really expand on, you know, what's going to be included in that. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, you know, that is going to be something that I'm going to be working on soon. So we'll see what you guys think of what the feedback is on that, but that's definitely something I want to do. If you haven't already, they're going to be going out this week. Emails for the uh, medicine ball uh, videos, my favorite medicine ball vi- uh, variations for baseball athletes. That's going to go out. So check that out. And then I also did the, um, I think it was 13, I think it was 19 med ball exercises and maybe 13 or 16. I think it was 16 um, deceleration and agility exercises. So if you um, want to go get the link for those or in the link tree on my Twitter, in the link tree on the Instagram, um, in the link tree on my TikTok, like they're all there. Uh, click on them, submit your email onto the list so that when I send out the videos, you're on it. 
that'll go out probably tomorrow or Friday. So just make sure you do uh, you submit before that if you want to get it, because then I think I'm going to remove those off my link tree because I don't want to have to keep sending these emails out. Um, so yeah, just make sure you don't miss that. And all right, yeah, let's let's get to uh, let's go up next. We'll go to some follower questions. Had some good ones today. Let's let's get into some of those. See what people are asking me. All right, so. The first cue that I had, this is from, forgive me if I, I butcher your name, but uh, Dennis Krenicki. Jerry, thank you for sharing your knowledge. It's greatly appreciated. couple of quick questions. Should in-season athletes be 90 to 95% max day before games? Do you believe in maintenance or gains during the season? Are there phases for athletes? Thank you in advance. Um, the first question when it comes to athletes being 90 to 90% max uh, before games. I mean, I think it all depends on how they respond. I really don't think it's that big of a deal to have athletes at a single, like a one rep lift for 90 to 95%. Like it's not going to make them sore. Um, you know, I don't think working one or two sets of that is going to totally crush them. If it's something where you see there's fatigue, you get feedback that there's fatigue. Um, you could do a simple test, like measuring their, their vert the day before a game and seeing how, or the day of a game and seeing how much of a drop off or, um, uh, if it stayed status quo and see if it's affecting them that way, if you really want to check it out. But I do think that's fine. Uh, what I generally recommend is you can creep up to those percentages. So what we would normally do is like 75 to 80% on the lower end for we're doing five rep sets. And then like that 90 to 95 becomes like a heavy single. And what it does is it keeps it at one rep, so it's not going to crush them. It allows them to kind of still get exposed at a heavier load at 90 to 95% range. And, you know, we've had success with it. The athletes don't report back feeling crappy or anything at all. So I think it's definitely something we should be doing. I don't know necessarily if I say, um, always say a day before you can do that. I'm not saying not to, I'm just saying like, I don't sit here and say like, you definitely need to be doing it that way. It could be just at any given point, but, um, you know, that's my take on that. Um, number two, do I believe in maintenance or gains during the season? I think you need to push for gains. And I always say this, like, Whatever you shoot for, you're probably going to fall a level beneath it. Everyone says, like, oh, shoot for the stars, land on the moon, like that corny crap. Um, if you're shooting for gains, you might go a little bit, drop a little bit, and end up being getting a maintenance level. If you start at maintenance right away, and I mean this especially in the beginning of a season. Like, I think the earlier in the season it is for the athlete, the more they could kind of push after it. As the grind kind of goes along of the season and they're getting more miles logged and more wear and tear, you might have to, like, pull the reins back a little bit um, when it comes to just, like, having a little bit more of a maintenance mindset. I always say this too. I think with development athletes, I'm talking athletes that are middle school, high school, or even into college, but like maybe, maybe not college. If they had throughout college at that point, like in their, their output's pretty high. It's more of an end goal of just kind of keeping them healthy and being, you know, keeping them on the field or whatever to be able to play their sport. Um, but I think when you're dealing with athletes that need to develop, they're not very fast. They don't jump very high. They're not that strong. They need to treat the entire year as a time to get better. And if we're limiting that to six months of just the off season or four months of just the off season, I think we're going to run into trouble in terms of getting the results we want to get. So, um, I think we just need to, um, hi there, John. Is that your name? <laughs> Whatever. Are you currently listening to a marketing or business podcast? Then you should check us out. Add to the bone. It's about digital advertising, ad tech, and programmatic advertising. Trust me, one episode would already make you sound smart. I mean, smarter. Click this ad or search us up on your favorite podcasting app. Are you add to the bone? Then you should join us now. 
think we need to just understand that we have to keep our foot on the gas all year round when it comes to youth athletes as best we can because they need to develop. And this is another thing I say all the time too, and I think it's a good way to think about it. Like if you're a Kia, you could be driven a lot. Like you got to earn your rest and you earn, you got to earn your right to be able to maintain. When you build up your engine to be like a Ferrari, then we can start to maintain a little bit. If it's not there, we got to keep building and building and building in, in, in my opinion. Great question though. And I think that's, that's good because I think it's, it's important to keep harping on that mindset. All right, next up, we had Coach Judy, J-U-D-I-E, defensive tackles coach at Mesquite High School. What's up, Coach? Doing some research for halftime warm-ups. Are you in charge of warm-ups? What are some things you do? Trying to find a way to get them juiced back up and moving. Yeah, so um, go check out the warm-up menu if you haven't already. That'll kind of answer a lot of your questions on this. But I think the halftime part of it is an interesting component where they just play to half, so they've already been moving a little bit. But I think at the same time, um, maybe you don't need to go through an entire full warm-up again, but I think where I would really go at this point, if I'm in that sense is like, look at the parts of the warm-up menu where I talk about like the activation, like the more movement based drills, but they're moving. So like they're not doing static stretches and things like that. Like get them going a little bit with that type of stuff, fire hydrants, black burns, like things like that. And then I would go right to the end where I start doing like the sprint based stuff. So some 10 yard sprints, some, um, you know, pogo jumps, uh, if you've got med balls, don't be afraid. Like let your kids rip some med balls, throw them straight up to the sky, get juiced up a little bit. Like my baseball teams throw med balls in the outfield before games and people will look at like, what the hell are they doing? But it gets you ready. Um, you know, I think anything you can look at that's going to kind of get them, you know, fired up and amped up and, and ready to go coming out of halftime, I think it's going to be something big that you want to do. So, um, that would be my advice on that. Above all else, go get the, uh, warm up menu. It'll be helpful for you on that. All right. Uh, let's see. This is from Jeff Lease. Hey, saw your message about nine to 12 year olds and it being an important window. I have one kid in this age and two more there soon. So you have my attention. What are your suggestions or things to be doing programs to follow, etc.? And then he you know, goes on to say, he'd be happy to pay for a program or time, uh, and that they'd love to come train, but they live in new England. So it takes away, I think new England, then he's new England. Um, let me know if I have an option. So I'll, should Jeff, first thing I'll say is I'll be in touch with you. Um, in that regard, if you want to do anything more, you know, anything further, you know, one-on-one, but what I will say to answer your question is, um, I think the biggest things that athletes of that age need to be doing is above all else, playing their sport, getting out in the field and moving is going to be the best thing to stimulate their mind and how they react to open environments from an agility perspective. From there, I think when it comes to training, they need to be max speed sprinting. So just making sure that they know the idea of exerting as much as they can and pushing into the ground as much as possible at an early age. And that's what I mentioned in the tweet is being able to develop that intent in that nine to 12 year old window is huge. It's just easier to develop at that given time versus when they're a little bit older. So just make sure you're emphasizing that, make sure you're emphasizing uh, fast loading with jumps. And then from a strength training perspective, I always say one to five reps. I like three to five seconds of uh, eccentric tempo on those reps um, because I think it really helps build control and um, stability and, and just, you know, more proficiency through ranges of motion. So uh, I'm talking basic pushes, get them, you know, acclimated doing great, good push-ups, um, goblet squats, RDLs to teach them how to hinge. Obviously you got your single leg variations, like a split squat or a really like elevated squat. Um, you could do like isometric chin-ups, all that type of stuff. Um, I think it's a really good way to get some foundational, um, capacity built in young athletes. So great question. And like I said, I will be in touch and that goes for any of you. If you're ever looking for remote coaching or training, we are uh, available for that. So, um, challengerstrength.com and just go to online train with challenger online and you can submit uh, an email and we'll get back to you on that. This is from, uh, 
Gabriel Dulan on Instagram. Hey, coach, I've been trying to work on getting faster. I was wondering if there are any drills or things I can do to improve my body angle when sprinting. Yeah, so first and foremost, I think sled sprinting is going to be your best friend because it encompasses a lot more than even just body angle, but the um, the load behind you makes you have to get in a certain angle, which is the, the angle that we are desiring to get into when it comes to accelerating. So I would work on that. Um, heavy sled drags or pushes are good because they're even being heavier, uh, going to force you into a more steep angle, um, when you're, when you're moving around. So I think those are really good as well. Um, there are definite wall drills we can do. I like the idea of some of the switch stuff. So hands are on the wall and you're kind of just like leaning, um, and driving the knee up and down and working on the foot behind the hip. Um, I like getting into the wall and getting in like a two point stance and pressing into the wall on a, um, steeper angle. So, uh, I really think that, you know, things like that are going to be more basic. I also like things like, uh, loaded med ball, um, starts where you have the athlete hold a med ball. They get in their two point stance and they drive the med ball into their start. It gets them to push and project forward. And, uh, things like mountain climber starts are also another good one. So, uh, I think those are kind of all going to check those boxes for you when it comes to that type of stuff. All right, let's do one more. This is from uh, Sturdy for President on Instagram. Uh, hey, quick question. I've been stressing about not having a sled for acceleration work. Is there anything that I can replace that? So this kind of ties into the last question. Yeah, I think like if you have something that you could fasten around your waist onto an immovable object and just pull into it as fast as you can or as hard as you can, that can replicate some of the effects of a heavy sled sprint. Use a wall, push into it. Um, hill sprints, right? Hill sprints are so easy. Go find a hill and 10 yard sprints as hard as you can up the hill. It's easy way to replace a sled if you don't have one. And then you can use bands as well. Band around the waist, athlete behind you holding the band, you're loading against it and, and moving as fast as possible. So, um, that is my take on that. All right. Uh, let's see. Last couple here. Well, actually, we're going to move to some tweets now to finish up. Um, so let's see what anything I talked about this week that I'd like to expand upon. We'll do a couple of these. All right. Let's see here. Oh, also mention this too. Like if you guys, um, are in the baseball world, the baseball coach, strength coach who works with baseball players or a baseball player yourself, I did a thread on Twitter and I posted it on uh, Instagram as well of building baseball sprint mechanics. Um, an example of one of our athletes doing it in game and looking pretty solid and just kind of how we built up to that. So go check that out if you haven't already. Um, all right. So let's see here. Okay. That's a good one. If you hurt your back deadlifting, more deadlifting should be part of the solution. This is a quote from a PT that I know. I love this mindset too often. We just stop doing something versus correcting what we are doing wrong and what is causing the problem. Yeah. I, I think this is big. If, if deadlifting is bothering your back, it means you're probably not doing it right or not strong in the right area. So I think doing it the right way and, and progressing it properly is going to be the solution to your problem versus just cutting it out completely. I think too often we see something like that and we're just like, all right, just get rid of that exercise. And we start to demonize the exercise, which I think is just kind of a, a wrong path to go down. So I like this idea that like something's bothering you. Well, like if sprinting is bothering you, why? Why is it bothering you? Is there something mechanically we're doing wrong to cause that problem? Like, I think we need to answer all of those questions um, before we just stop doing it. So I like that. Um, and I think it's just something we need to think about more often. Oh, yeah, this was fun. <laughs> Being the most conditioned but slowest and weakest athlete, it's like winning the first place and winning first place in the worst athlete competition. Congrats. You can run slower and be weaker than everyone for a really long time. Um, 
I had a new athlete that was potentially going to come train and they were talking about how they did swimming and it was really good. It got them in really good shape and made them in, you know, whatever, but they weren't really strong and they were not that fast. And, you know, I, I just say this all the time, going, being able to go out and play your sport for a really long time, but not exert anything that's remarkable to get separation from your opponents. is just, I think one of the most useless things that you can really achieve. So I think people need to understand that like the conditioning part of stuff is like something they need to spend less time on and something I've been kind of a theme lately that I've been talking about. You don't have to spend as much time on it as you think. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, you really need to focus as a team sport athlete more on the speed and power type things. Um, cause improving speed and power can help improve conditioning. Improving conditioning is really not going to help imp- increase speed and power. So I like to think about that. Um, and I think it's just a matter of, again, priorities and understanding what the demands are of sport and just like shifting our mindset when it comes to stuff like this. Uh, all right. One more. Uh, let's see here. What's another good one? I like looking back at these. It's kind of nice to just reflect on, uh, you know, some of these types of things. All right. I think we'll just hit on this last one because I think I answered it in the question already as well. Um, You have no idea how valuable it is to get your young athlete doing the following. Pushing hard into the ground, loading and moving fast, moving with intent. You have a small window from 9 to 12 years old um, to leave an indelible mark on their nervous system forever. So, yeah, I think that, you know, essentially the biggest thing that I'm getting at here is to understand that you know, you don't have to be all gun ho If a kid doesn't want to train, they don't want to train. Like, that's not the message I want to convey. Like, if they, if they want to do it, they can. If not, you know, they shouldn't be. However, if they are, I think you have to understand the advantage you have of getting them started at that 9 to 12 age window in terms of the ability for them to make major strides they might not be able to make as they're a little bit older when it comes to patterning them to understand the value or just the feeling of pushing hard into the ground and moving fast. I think if you develop that intent at that age – you'll just notice a big difference in like the athletes that are 13, 14 and 15 and who developed that at a young age and who didn't. And you could just see it tremendously. And I've been learning this a lot with a remote athlete that I've been working with in Ireland who just turned 10. And in five months, we've just completely transformed his sprint output. And you can just see how much more aggressive he is and pushing into the ground and, and just the rate in which he moves and, and the aggression and intent that he has. And I think that's something that if you develop it at that age, you will carry it with you going forward. So um, I think it's super important to get started, get started early if you want to, and just understand the benefits and advantages you will have if you do that. So, um, I think that's everything I have for this week. Um, I enjoyed this one with you guys. If you have any other questions or anything you want to know, feedback on the episode, anything like that, that was helpful, please share it. Let us know. Uh, you know, it helps a lot in terms of improving the show and giving you guys the best possible experience. So, uh, with that said, I will talk to you guys next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of Muscles and Management brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jerry Filippo, signing off from the show that's changing how we view sports performance, training, and business.